0: we
1: Each time I could afford, like a child in wild anticipation, long to hear that. could be so
0: yearning
1: Why did I decide to roam Gotta take that sentimental journey Sentimental journey
2: It is another Saturday night. Hey, a new month. Saturday, December 4th, 2010. I'm Wong Xu and hello, Patricia.
3: Patricia is here. Hi, Walden. Hi, everybody. Another Saturday already, and we are into December. I am not finished with March or April, but um, we're here, and we've got a great and special guest tonight. If I tell you we have John Provost with us tonight, I think a couple of you will say, hmm, that's really nice. But if I say, Timmy and Lassie, you're going to perk up. I can hear the switches going on right now. John Provost, welcome to Yesterday USA and the Saturday Night Live Show.
4: Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to uh, to be on the broadcast tonight.
3: It is our pleasure. John is Timmy Martin, all grown up.
4: <laughs> all, are,
3: definitely, yes, all grown up. <laughs> <laughs> well,
4: aren't we all?
3: <laughs> well, we're, we're trying to grow up over. <laughs> I know,
4: but you know, um, uh, there was uh, a saying that somebody told me years and years and years ago. It says, "You don't." Grow old because you stop playing. You grow old. I mean, you you don't you don't stop playing because you grow old. You grow old because you stop playing. So as long as we keep playing, we're gonna be
5: good.
3: I think we're safe. There you go. We're in we're in good shape. There is one thing, however, that they need to know is that you still have your dimples. Yes, I do. Yes, you do. <laughs> They're adorable. You have to go to johnprovost.com. That's J-O-N. No H in there, J O N P R O V O S T dot com. And you will see lots of things up there, including pictures of John when he was Timmy and John when he's John, all grown up. So (laughs) we're just delighted that you're with us, John. You have been performing. I'm going to go through a list here and you tell me if I'm telling any fibs along the way or correct me as I go.
4: Okay, fine, Patricia.
3: You have been performing since before your third birthday. Correct started with a title role in a major movie, and you had six more movies made before you even got to Lassie, and you were this little munchkin on Lassie. More than 250 episodes of Lassie. Correct. Yes. Yep. I'm, I'm okay here. In oh, yeah. Well, you and... know, the, oh, the, about ahead. that,
4: um, when we were filming, um, we did between... 37 and 39 half-hour episodes a year. We worked for nine months to film that series. Um, today, you know, if if you're lucky, you get maybe 12 episodes because there's just so much out there. But uh, um, yeah, it was it was definitely a, a different
3: time. This was a very int- I had no re- no idea that it was as intense as it was. And one of the things I'm going to ask you about in just a couple of minutes is the pressure on kids who are in the industry and performing and very popular and help me measure it today against the times when you and people like paul peterson were in the business and and the differences that are there
4: oh sure no i I definitely have uh, an opinion
3: i am so glad you (laughs) do because i do have a couple of questions and I, i was hopeful that you did have some insights and some thoughts on that but in between Lassie and today, you have done film work. You have done TV. You are doing voiceover now. You've got a couple of Christmas shows that we can listen to this year. Right. You've got an autobiography, Timmy's in the Well, in its second printing.
4: Correct. I Actually, um, third, um, third printing. The, the uh, third printing came out in um, uh, softcover.
3: Oh, that's your third printing in softcover.
4: Well, did no, not... the, the, uh, we had two in hardcover now, and uh, the third is the uh,
3: soft cover. I did not realize that yeah. I thought the second was your soft cover so my gosh okay. Um, and incidentally and I'll, I'll repeat this a couple of times you can you can see the book at amazon.com and you can also see it at John's website so I'll repeat that in a couple of minutes. but you're a spokesperson for the new line of dog products for vintage dog. And one thing yep. that really tickled me is that you are so involved in Canine Companions for Independence. You really do love dogs.
4: Oh, you know, I was, I was at a luncheon today um, for a therapy group uh, that they take dogs to hospitals and to care facilities. And um, when they introduced me, they said uh, he has Collie in him, so I guess I do.
3: You have Collie in you. <laughs> in,
4: in my past life, I definitely was in, in in some way, shape, or form.
3: You had fur. <laughs> so cute. I love that. Uh, I I know um, from reading and from a couple of exchanges with uh, Lori, your wife. Who is Lori your agent as well? Yes.
4: Well, yeah. we we work together really well. We you know basically basically work out of the home and. Uh, yeah, we're great.
3: Wow. That, that really is a great testimony to your relationship. Not everybody can do that. Yeah. Um, but I do know, and we touched on this just a minute ago, I do know that you have some really rough patches in the middle of childhood performing and grown up right into the middle of the real world. Um, so we do take phone calls for listeners who want to call in with questions or comments. And I know oh, great. A, lot of, a lot of our people out there remember Lassie, and remember you as Timmy, but I do want to give you a heads up because occasionally we'll hear from people later and say, how come you didn't call in? And they say, oh, but we didn't want to interrupt. Well, we're here <laughs> to tell you, you can interrupt. <laughs> oh, yes, please, please, if you call in if you have a question. Yeah. It's, it's uh, call in time.
2: And 714-545-2071, normally everybody likes to wait. If you got an urge to ask John something now, we'll open the phone uh, when time allows, So go ahead if you want to call and we'll let Patricia take over. Go ahead Patricia.
3: Oh, uh, This is great. Thank you for right. jumping in with the phone number. I would have walked just right past it i <laughs> have a fabulous time here. Um, can we start with the movies um, and the roles you had? I'm going to ask you toward the end here. I'm going to give you a couple of names and I'll ask you for one or two sentences about some of the people you worked with. But you started with so big in 1953, a feature film? Correct. Correct. Would you talk about that a little bit, please? You are um, not sure. yet three that, years that, old.
4: I was, I was not, not quite three, And um, um, the, the, the way that, that I got, that
2: got the, uh, the show. Excuse me,
3: we're, I'm getting some awful kinds of I'm getting of weird. That's and I'm yeah, not going. In, is our system okay?
2: Uh, let me turn you guys down. And we put a little music on. I think I'm going to have to switch phone lines uh, because it sounds like it's coming from the phone line to California. So hold on everybody. We'll be back in a second and we'll correct the uh, phone trouble.
1: Satisfied until the teeth drops down. I try to shower you. With-
2: I think think we're back and safe and sound. Go ahead, Patricia.
3: Okay, thank you. Hi, everybody. Again, I'm sorry for the interruption. We're having a little bit of phone trouble tonight. We're talking with John Provost, who was Timmy on the television series Lassie, and I'm sure you're going to remember him in that role. But, my gosh, he's had a whole lifetime of other things and other accomplishments, and we're going to be talking about all of them tonight. So, one more time, welcome, John. I'm so glad you're with us.
4: All right. Thanks, Patricia.
3: We started with the 1953 feature film, So Big. Right. A a little three-year-old does not pack a lunch and show up at a studio and say, I'd like to be in a movie. How did
4: did this come about? What what happens is his mother, who grew up uh, in a little um, farming town in northeastern Texas called Wolf City, um, Texas, um, met her husband who was from Mobile, Alabama in 1940 in Hollywood and she saw an opportunity in 1953 to get Jane Wyman's autograph and Jane Wyman had been her idol her entire life growing oh my. up and it was an article in uh, the LA Times by Luella Parsons and it was looking for a two to three year old blonde boy to be in this movie with Jane Wyman. So my mom thinks, "Oh my gosh, if I take John, I'm going to meet Jane Wyman and get her autograph." And that was her total, total motivation. Um, she just wanted Jane Wyman's autograph. So dad came home from work, mom said, "You know, tell me how to get to Warner Brothers," and uh, dad dro- drove her, a, uh, drew her a map, and. You know, she took me on this cattle call that there were over 200 um, little boys, and some little girls' mothers had cut their hair, you know, to look like little boys. And, you know, Mom just wanted Jane Wyman's autograph. And during the day, they would let the other kids go, but they kept telling me to stay. And at the end of the day, this large woman comes up to Mom and says, "Um, very colorful lady. And says uh, excuse me but I think your son's gonna get this job and she goes well that's really not why I'm here i want to get <laughs> Jane Wyman's autograph and she <laughs> said don't don't worry about it dear you'll you'll get her autograph she said but I need to know who your agent is and mom says oh no we own a home in Pasadena um, we don't need an agent my mother didn't have a clue all she really went she just wanted Jane Wyman's autograph and the woman said oh no no I'm talking about a theatrical agent. Your son needs representation if he gets this job. And, you know, Mom says, well, where do I find one of them? And the woman tells Mom that, well, I'm Lola Moore. I am the number one child agent in Hollywood, and I can represent your son. Mom says, how much is it going to cost us? She says, nothing. I'll just take 10% of whatever he makes. Mom says, that's great. But when do I get my autograph from Jane Wyman? (laughs) So I, I'm a real true believer being in the right place at the right time. You know, my f- first audition, um, I get the job, I get an agent, and then um, that's so big, that movie. The next movie is The Country Girl with Bing Crosby and Grace Kelly. Then um, Into the Unknown with uh, William Holden. And then I get a uh, five-movie contract with RKO. You know, it's just... It's it's crazy, and it's all because Mom wanted an
2: autograph. (laughs) How crazy is that?
3: I I think kismet comes into play here somewhere. That is an amazing story.
2: So did did Mom ever get the autograph? Oh, and much more. Oh, good. Oh, (laughs) yeah.
3: And much more. John, truly, that is an extraordinary story. What were you thinking? Can you recall going through this cattle call and – Oh, no,
4: no. Actually, Patricia, the the, um, first two movies, So Big and Country Girl, I have no memory. You do Um, not? I was just too young. I mean, you know, I mean, really, either, you know, well, you know, Patricia, do you remember something when you were three, four years old? Yes. It's real, you know, maybe something, you know, dramatic, but my (laughs) third movie, uh, which was... um, uh, all Mine to Give, and it's a movie they always show at Christmas time. Uh, it starred um, uh, Cameron Mitchell and Glennis Johns, and it's about this immigrant family that comes to the United States and they can't afford all their children, so they have to give their children away at Christmas time. And so they always show it at Christmas. Oh, you cry, you cry, you cry. But that was the first one that I do start to remember. And then from then on, everything else is, you know, clear as day.
3: Yeah. Now, obviously, your mom was not what you would consider a Hollywood stage mom when she went in for an autograph and you were her ticket through the door. What, what kind of a relationship did you have with your mom as your career started unfolding as a child? Well, what kind of relationship did she have with agents and, and your, the people you were working with?
4: Well, and not only that, uh, my brother and my sister and my father, you know, the family, and, and that's one thing about the autobiography. It's not just, you know, it, it's, it's uh, really how my celebrity um, affected a typical American family. You know, like my father was an aeronautical engineer. Um, he designed airplanes my, when they got married my mother was a seamstress and then when they when they got married then she became you know a housewife as it was back then um, but you know there's there's just so much more involved with it and um, uh, I'm sorry I got off, I got off a little track
3: Well, I was asking about your mom uh, being a stage mom. Oh, the stage mom. Oh, no, exactly. Oh, no, mom. You know, mom.
4: It was was crazy. Mom would, when we would be, you know, doing a movie or something, mom would go up to the director and say, well, now, why are you doing this? And the other mothers would run up to her and say, oh, Cecile, you can't do that. You can't talk to him. He's the director. And she goes, well, why not? You know? He's directing my son. Why can't I ask these things? Um, my parents were very, very, very down to earth. Um, you know, very conservative, very um, un-Hollywood people. In the seven years that I was on Lassie, we worked nine months out of the year at the studio,
0: mm-hmm.
4: and my father, in seven years, only visited the studio twice.
3: Was that a good thing for you? Or well, did it it's matter because
4: either? he had his career, you know, which was mm-hmm. designing airplanes. And my mom's basic, I guess you would say, I was her career. And he, you know, delegated it that way, and, and everything was fine, and it worked fine. And mom was with me 90% of the time when I was working whether it was on Lassie, whether it was on a movie, whether it was when um, I spent three and a half months in Japan when I was six years old filming a movie. You know, mom was there. Um, but that did take a toll on my brother and sister and, you know, my father and the relationship. But my parents, um, my mom passed away in '01. My parents would have been married 60 years had my mother lived through her last birthday. So, you know, it, it wasn't, uh, you know, a bad relationship for anybody, and, and I'm very close to my um, older brother and my older sister. So,
3: so so you were the baby of the family. How many years separate you from your brother and your sister?
4: I'm uh, four years younger and, uh, than my sister and six years younger than my brother. All right, so this is uh, I, I, was, I, was an, I was a mistake. I was an accident. But well, boy. Not, <laughs> that's the way it happens.
3: I, I understand what you're telling me, but, boy, we're sure happy with the accident. I
4: know. Me too.
3: <laughs> yeah, I guess so. My goodness, yes. Um, that's, uh, you're anticipating one of my questions that's toward the end here about sibling, brother or sister in the family. Mm-hmm. How, now, how, how was your schooling handled while you were working, and how, where did they go to school?
4: Um, all of my schooling was either private tutor on the set or private school because when we weren't filming um, I couldn't go to public school because I would you know would only be there for a couple months uh, right. you know and I would be pulled out maybe for to do something so um, everything was private the only time uh, I ever went to a quote public school was when I went to college and um, all of my schooling on the set was, like I said, private tutor. Um, 99% of the time it was just me and the tutor. Uh, all regulated, you know, by the state, um, you know, everything up to snuff. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, n- so not, that, not, a, not maybe the best, you know, way that it could have been, but mm-hmm. the best at the time. How did that play with your brother and sister? Well, they, because dad – now, okay, mom's with me all day. When, when I first got the Lassie series, the movies, you know, that was different because you'd only work, you know, maybe a month or a couple weeks or the longest was in Japan three and a half months. But now on Lassie, we're working nine months. And we were living um, in Pomona when I got Lassie. And that was like – I mean, the freeway didn't even go to L.A. at that time. So, you know, Mom, we had to get up at 6 in the morning to get me at the studio by 8 and, you know, then work all day and then come home. And so the second year, we got a little one-bedroom apartment a block away from the studio. And so Mom and I would stay there Monday through Thursday and then go home on Friday and stay home. And then on the third year, when they picked the series up, because Dad didn't like not having Mom home, And my brother and sister now, you know, they're being um, shipped off to boarding school or what have you because, you know, dad's working and mom's with me all day. Mm -hmm. So there's nobody there to take care of them. And so that's how they, you know, suffered in a way. Um, But uh, on the third year, then dad said, okay, listen, you know, we have to bring our family back together and... Uh, He said, then, I will switch companies. At that time, he was working for Convair, I believe. And he said, I'll switch um, companies, and I can get one out uh, in Los Angeles. So you pick a house that's close between John's work and my work. And then we moved to Beverly Hills, and that's where I lived uh, the rest of my life until I um, left home.
3: My gosh, you really had a lot of pieces to put together just as a little kid, never mind when you finished with Lassie, my gosh. <laughs> but you know what? <clears throat> it
4: was what I, I started so young. It's, I basically grew up on a soundstage.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's what
4: I knew. It's what I did. It's like my brother and sister, they would get up when, um, say, well, well, when we moved to Beverly Hills, then the family, then I was 10 years old, and then the family came back together. And they went to school, you know, during the day, and everything was fine. And, mm-hmm. um, but um, we, uh, you know, we just uh, had to, you know, had to, had to grow together, and, and everything just worked out great. Yeah. Did
3: their friends believe them when they told them you were their brother? Timmy was their brother?
4: Yeah. And I remember, this is really funny, my, my um, sister's husband Um, The first time he came uh, to pick her up, he was, I think, 18. And when I answered the door, um, (laughs) I was still in my Timmy outfit and in my makeup and everything. And, you know, to this day, and I, oh gosh, Bruce is, he's like, you know, 67 or something. And to this day, he says, he says, I just choked up. He says, "I couldn't." He says, "Oh my God, I, I can't believe it. I knew I knew, you know, Fran was Timmy's brother, but oh my God, it it really is Timmy."
3: <laughs> oh, how cute! It was yeah. a good welcome. It was not something that oh yeah, no that you remember for the bad reasons. You remember it for the good reasons. Now, right. when you when you worked with June Lockhart and mm-hmm. Hugh Riley, did you form, as happens occasionally in other areas, did you form? A family like relationship with the people you worked with on the stage or in front of the cameras?
4: Right. Well, you know, um, when we were working, when I would go to work every day, Mm -hmm. it would be, you know, just me and two dogs and, you know, 35 to 37 adults. And we, were a family, all of those people. And, you know, I mean they kept uh, you know, a tight rein on some of the guys, you know, you know, if they said something that was off color or whatever, if they did it twice, they were gone. Um so I was protected in, in that way a lot, which, you know, is very good. Um but with June, my mother over the years might forget my birthday and call me two days later and says, Oh, John I'm so Sorry, you know, June Lockhart to this day has never missed a birthday card, a Christmas card, and we speak regularly. You know, maybe you know once a month, once every couple months. We see each other a couple times a year. Um, we live in different parts of the state. She lives in Southern California. I live in Northern California. But uh, yeah, June's June's been great. We've like I said, you know, we've you know we've just kept in touch over the years. Unfortunately, Hugh Riley. He passed away, um, you know, gosh, I guess it was about 15 years ago. But one person that I still keep in touch with is John Shepard, who was my original father, as Cloris Leachman was my original mother. She was mm-hmm. the original Ruth, and John Sheppard was the original Paul. And uh, John now is... Uh, gosh, he's in his late 80s and he lives, he's lives. he been living in um, London for the past 30 years and, and we still keep in touch. And um, I actually was in touch with um, Cloris Leechman. We had not seen each other for 40, over 40 years and there was a uh, um, a special benefit um, for television mothers and I was one of her children so um, I showed up and, you know, um, entertained her, and, and we we had just a great time.
3: You really had some enduring and endearing relationships form.
4: Oh, we did. Oh, yes, and
3: it's quite <clears throat> remarkable.
4: And and not only with you know people that I've worked with. I mean, oh my gosh, you know all all the you know that my contemporary um, child stars. Um, so many of us, you know. Um, Tony Dow and, of course, you know, Paul Peterson, Jay North, um, Jeannie Russell, um, Stan and Barry Livingston, um, you know, Frank Bank, and um, I mean, I, the list goes on. You know, we have always kept in touch because we have this bond, and uh, it's something, you know, that uh, nobody can ever take away from us. So it's, it's, uh, it's
3: really important. I'm suspecting that nobody outside that circle, too far outside that circle, could actually even understand what you're talking about when you swap experiences. They'll hear the words, but they don't really share what you guys are sharing with each other. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, and
4: it's kind of like people always ask me, well, you know, John, didn't didn't you miss a lot because, you know, you were doing this? Well, yes, I did. Um, I wasn't allowed, I couldn't be a a Cub Scout, I couldn't be a Boy Scout, I couldn't play um, Little League, I couldn't you know, do Pop Warner, I couldn't do any of that stuff because I could get hurt and also because I was busy, I was working, so I didn't have the time to do it. So I missed those things, but I got to do a lot of other stuff that those kids didn't get to do. They got to do that, I got to do this. And the way I look at it is, you know, if you've never tasted chocolate, well, you've never tasted chocolate. So, what, you know, mm-hmm. it's just, uh, you know, I've talked to, um, I used to do um, during the uh, 60s a lot of USO stuff. And, you know, you'd talk to kids, you know, the military brats, as they called them back then. Well, they had to go through stuff that other kids didn't have to go through. But,
3: you know, so we all, you know, we all, you know,
4: give and take the way it's dealt with us. So.
3: Mm-hmm. What were the good things that you got that the other bears didn't get?
4: Well, I got, boy, I got to do a lot of traveling. I got to um, meet a lot of interesting people. Um, I was, years and years and years ago, I was in Detroit, had a, uh, a TV show, and morning show, and... Anwar Sadat's daughter, uh, Camille, was on, and she said, not on, not on tape, but in the green room, we were talking, and she said, "John, I just have to tell you, the first television show that we ever saw in Egypt was Lassie. Oh,
1: wow! And, you know,
4: it's like, wow. That's, yeah. That's Well, you know, because we weren't political. Um, we, you know, not in the sense as you know some other shows, but um, we were political in some ways. But um, you know, you I was. I was it, yeah. It's just. I mean, some when, when people tell you something like that, it's like, oh my god. And a woman. Um, I was at a at a uh, college convention recently, and a, this um, woman comes up to me and she says. Um, You may think this is strange, but she goes, um, I am from Ethiopia, and I grew up watching Lassie. And she said, and we never even knew there were dogs like that.
3: Oh my word. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah, when you reach out and touch, you really reach out and touch.
4: Well, you know, Lassie, um, that's the name of the show, oh. <laughs> it is an, uh, uh, an icon. It's a world icon, and it's, I'm very, very proud to have been involved with that. And nobody has ever come up to me and said they hated Lassie. <laughs> and uh, uh, the, the show's still on in over 50 countries. Uh,
3: Amazing. Amazing. We're talking with John Provost, who is Timmy Martin, all grown up. Timmy Martin was um, Lassie's owner. or I'm not sure you you got to own a dog. You got to be the best friend to a dog, I guess. Right. (laughs) But uh, Timmy is from the the, um, television show Lassie, and John is Timmy. And we do have a phone open for people who want to give a call and say, Hi, Lassie, it was really a great show, and I loved it, or ask John a question. in 714-545-2071, and you can visit John up on his website as well at johnprovost.com. It's J-O-N, no H in there, J-O-N-P-R-O-V-O-S-T.com, and we'll talk about all the goodies that are up there. I spent some time up there. Wow. It really is a fun place to be. <laughs>
0: Thank
3: can you. we? Can we talk about Lassie for a bit, sure. the, the actual show? I mean, we've, we've, been, oh, talking, sure. yeah. we've been talking conceptually and, and just having a grand time here. But I'm compelled to ask. Are, are you there? Oh, yes. Uh, okay, oh. I lost power here. Everything went down, oh. so just for a second. I can hear um, you fine. Okay, thank you. Um, John, where did you learn how to act?
4: Um, as I was doing it as I was doing it um, I you know as my mother would tell you if she was here she would say he minded very well um, I did what they told me to do I didn't start any kind of formal um, lessons until I was oh my gosh you know 10 11 12 13 um, so all my early stuff it was just you know it just I was what they call a natural, you know. I mean, that's what the, that's what they say. Like, you're just a natural. They say the same thing about, you know, um, you know, sports figures and stuff. You know, you, you you've got it, you've got it, or you don't. And I guess I
3: had it. I guess you had it. You could make people cry.
4: Yeah, well, that and it was. You know, that's very funny that you said that because it was easy for me to cry, but it was hard for me to laugh. I mean, if I just had to laugh, at, it, it, I mean, if the joke wasn't funny, it was really difficult for me to laugh. If it was funny, I would, I just crack up. But uh, that was, yeah, that was a hard part. I don't know.
3: But you could cry. Oh yeah, that was easy. How amazing. And I, you know, you just would well, You just, know, laughing um, is hard. When something's you, not funny, laughing is hard. But it also surprises me that that you could cry without a whole lot of provocation. Like somebody didn't have to tell you like they did. Was it Jackie Coogan or Jackie Cooper?
4: Oh, Someone the, told her the dog died? Yeah, quite a, quite a few horrible stories.
3: Oh, um, my gosh.
4: But uh, no, I would just, you know, think about something that made me a little bit sad, and then eh, whatever <sighs> just happened.
3: Tell me about landing the role of Timmy.
4: Well, actually, I was um, filming my last movie for RKO, We were in Japan, and the movie was Escapade in Japan, 1956. First movie filmed in Japan after the war. Wow. Um, At that time, RKO was owned by Howard Hughes, who owned TWA, Transworld Airlines. And they took everybody, the entire crew, the entire cast, except the Japanese cast that they hired, And all the equipment and everything in a big um, constellation. And we flew uh, to Japan there three and a half months. Um, When we were there, uh, Lassie was on with Tommy Reddick. He played Jeff Miller. And Tommy had outgrown the part. He wanted out. And so they're looking for a kid uh, to play Timmy, this new role. Couldn't find the kid. Um, the producer's wife of Lassie was having lunch with the producer's wife of Escapade in Japan. Uh, came up that they were looking for this kid, and she said, "Well, you know, describe what you're looking for." Described. She says, "Oh, you've just described John Provost. He were, he's in Japan right now. He'll be back in a month." So when I got back from Japan, um, we went and met with uh, uh, the producers and uh, director and a couple of the writers and they I said yes boom you're you're the kid you look exactly like what we want i didn't have to audition because they had seen my movies and so they knew I could act they didn't care mm-hmm. but they didn't know how lassie and i would get along and i had been raised around animals my whole life horses uh, goats you know pigeons dogs cats whatever so it was fine with me but they didn't know and they wanted to make sure because you had to have that bond. You couldn't fake that bond. Mm-hmm. Um, it would show. And so, Red Weatherwax, the owner of Lassie, had a 60-acre ranch about a mile um, outside of Hollywood. And I went and spent a weekend with him on his ranch with Lassie, and uh, to see how we got along. And Lassie gave me two paws up, and I got the job. <laughs> guess
3: you got along okay. That was it, yeah. I I
4: was fine. I was totally fine, and and Red knew it. You know, he could tell, Uh, but uh, you know, the producers, they wanted to make sure, so.
5: But no, I loved
4: those dogs. I was on the show for seven years. I worked with three different dogs. Um, The last uh, dog I worked with, I worked with him for five years. So uh, he and I really bonded. You know, I loved that dog. He was he was great. I worked with his father for one year and his grandfather for one year. And they were all great, but uh, I loved that last dog. That last
3: one. Was that Baby?
4: Yes. Oh, yes. Okay.
3: I've got Yeah, now. Now now, got Baby it.
4: was the best Baby. And you know what? Um, baby was Rudd's favorite other than Pal, which was the original Lassie from the original movie Lassie Come Home. Mm-hmm. 1944. And uh, Baby was the youngest to die of all the Lassies. Every Lassie has lived between um, 15 and 17 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, Baby died when he was 8 because he contracted um, melanoma, cancer.
1: Oh, and, my gosh. Yeah,
4: and it really, really devastated Rudd because he was Rudd's favorite. He was so smart. The dog was incredible. He was just great.
3: Uh, This almost hurts my heart to ask you this, but one of my questions was, how do you deal with it, or how did you deal with it, because all three of those dogs, of course, are not with us, and um, you were very close to them.
4: Yeah. Um, uh, You know, like I said, the first two, I, I really only worked with them, and I was like the first dog that I worked with. I was only seven, and I worked with him for a year. And he was old, and he was ready to retire, and he didn't really care about me that much in some way, you know. But, um, you know, the one, you know, it was a baby. I mean, uh, we grew up. I mean, you know, we grew up together. I was um, nine and worked with him until I was 14 years old. He was, you know, he was a great dog. And, you know, stuff happens. I've lost a lot of dogs since him, so.
3: But it happens. We had a little bit of a gender identity crisis with the dogs. They were all males.
4: All males, yes. Lassie's the uh, oldest uh, female impersonator in Hollywood. And, uh, <laughs> and, and and there's eleven generations of them. Um, Bob Weatherwax, who read Son, now um, has the eleventh generation uh, direct descendant from Pal, the original Lassie. Wow. It, yeah, they, the, the Weatherwaxes have owned, trained, and bred every Lassie since 1940.
3: Now, Tell me what the advantages of having male dogs in that kind of a role as opposed to females.
4: Well, the males are larger. They're heavier. Um, they're more colorful. And when the females go into season, um, <clears throat> they don't want to work.
3: Forget about and- it.
4: <laughs> and um, they not want to work anyway. Right, and they lose their coat. So, uh, and oh, you know, God. when you're filming movies, I mean, you know, if somebody may want to take off for you know two weeks, forget it. They ain't gonna work. <laughs> so, Red, um, he realized that from from originally from day one, you know, that it's got to be a male. But also because you know Lassie was supposed to be such a heroic dog, the larger you know you could have, the better.
1: Well, I just
3: learned a whole bunch. Thank you very much. I, I really—I had no idea that there were such dramatic changes that happened, and of course, I never even thought about. I mean, these are breeding dogs you're talking about. These are so. Well, thank you. I just learned a whole bunch. I really appreciate that. Well, and
4: you know, and one thing too, just about the about Lassie. If you look at Lassie, and then you look at like an AKC collie, they don't uh-huh. look at all the like. You know, at all. No. Um, what Rudd did was, and that's the breeding into the, that's why the families kept the line going, he was breeding in a recessive gene which gave them larger eyes, um, a wider muzzle, um, which increased their cranium, their brain size. They actually had larger brains. So, and I think that's one reason that uh, they were so smart and so good. And, uh, and then also, the way he fed them, uh, you know, those dogs never saw kibble in their life. <laughs> um, you know, everything was made at
3: The set, the commands given to Lassie, how did you coordinate with the dog and the trainers? Tell us about that.
4: Really good question. Um, Rudd, well, his method of training was praise and reward, okay? Um, You know, he was never abusive. Um, And I saw, I mean, we worked with every animal from, you know, an aardvark to a zebra. Uh, And I saw many, many different trainers. And the one thing I learned from Rudd, or one of the things, was respect for the animal. Rudd um, used half of his commands were hand signals, half were verbal. Well, the verbal commands became a problem for the actors because the studio didn't want to have to go back and edit and cut out where if he would overlap with a verbal command over one of our lines. Mm -hmm. So we had to learn when he was going to give a command to Lassie or one of his assistants would give a verbal command to the dog um, we would have to space our dialogue so that they could make the command in between our responses and then they would just cut their you know their their command out but they we wouldn't have to go back and redub that scene because that was just too expensive they didn't want to do that Mm -hmm. so that was difficult for us but you know after you did it you know a few months you know you just picked it up and then it just became uh, became normal
3: And that's really interesting. Um, Gee, tell me the two most memorable episodes in your head right now. We,
4: as you mentioned earlier, did over 250 episodes. Um, On a given day, we might be filming from three different scripts. Um, So things blend together. But there's, my favorite, favorite episode was a three-parter that we did, three consecutive Sundays. We were the first – oh, by the way, we were the first uh, series to do a two-parter. Nobody had done To Be Continued next week. We really? were the first. Oh, yeah. Lassie was the first. And then we went and we did a three-parter, um, and it, it's my favorite. It's called The Odyssey. Um, it was about Lassie got locked um, – in the back of a tractor trailer rig and was taken halfway across the country and had to find you know her way home and you know obviously you know we searched and for two episodes couldn't find lassie lassie's gone lassie's dead and so in the last episode private.
3: into acceptable packages so that people heard the message and didn't even realize that they were being educated. Am Mm -hmm. I on target with that? Mm-hmm.
4: And, you know, that was the the point. Every episode had a moral, had you learned something from it. You know, Timmy wasn't the smartest kid. He got in trouble. He did things, but he figured it out. Um, His parents, you know, didn't cover for him. Um, You know, he... Uh, he learned every you learned things from the show. And unfortunately, you know, we don't have very much like that to choose from today. Yeah. But
3: uh you know, kids.
4: It's just the way it is.
3: When you told me a little bit ago that there were times you were working on three scripts at a time, Uh you answered my question about the checkered shirt and the jeans. I understand that.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Continuity.
3: (laughs) (laughs) You couldn't show up in dress slacks in one scene and jeans in the other. No, listen. The
4: only time Timmy Chan, the only time was like if we went to church or we went to Capital City, you know, or we went Uh to some special event. Is when you know Timmy wore other clothes. No, the suit. I mean the uh, the, the the checkered shirt and the, and the jeans and the you know high top tennis shoes. That was twenty four seven. I mean <laughs> that's all that kid wore. <laughs> how,
3: many, how many checkered shirts and jeans did you have, or did Ward did Wardrobe keep these for you?
4: Oh or yeah, you no have- they oh. well they made them we they made them for me. As a matter of fact, um, my whole outfit is in the Smithsonian. Um, it was about, oh gosh, about 20 years ago, I got a, a, a letter from the Smithsonian that they were opening up an exhibit uh, in the, natu- in the uh, American History Museum, um, television in America, and they wanted to know if I had something to donate. And I didn't, you know, I, didn't have, I didn't know. I had photos. So I called my mom and I say, look, I got this great letter. Do we have anything? She said, well, I've never told you this, but I have your whole outfit. So Mom sends me the outfit, you know, the box comes, I open it up, I get this incredible deja vu effect going.
1: Oh, gosh. And
4: um, then I sign about, you know, 15 release forms that says I can never get them back again. And I pack them up and I send them to the Smithsonian. And then we go, me and the family, we go to, uh, to Washington when they open the exhibit. And when you walked in the main door, the first thing you saw with the um, Archie Bunker's chair, the Fonz's leather jacket, and in the middle, Timmy.
3: Oh my gosh! How did I neat. know? And I just went,
4: "Oh my god!" And so it's there, you know. Now it's in archived, you know. They they don't have that exhibit going again, but.
3: Oh um, gee, well the magic it, trio, boy, you talk about um, generations. You know, I mean, you represented one, Fonzie represented another, Mm -hmm. and R.T. Bunker still another, and they were all part of Americana, and they got the three of you together. I love it. All right. That is so cool. We are talking with John Provost, who was Timmy Martin on the show Lassie. And I know a lot of people remember that, but he's got a whole lot more to life than Lassie. And we're going to get into some of that in just a minute. But if you've got some questions or some comments or just a hi for Timmy, who's still got his dimples. I, I, that's so cute.
4: <laughs> yeah, well, I sleep with these funny things you know, stuck you to st- my st- cheeks.
3: You stick pencils in your <laughs> cheeks when you're asleep. We are at 714-545-2071. Give a call. Say hi to John. And uh, if you have any questions about his career and especially about Lassie, because that's the one people probably remember best, please give a call. You, You kind of didn't have any anonymity in Lassie, whereas in movie work and, of course, in voiceover, people don't necessarily recognize you instantly, and you're not there in every scene. So I guess it's natural that people would remember Timmy um, more readily than some of the other roles. But you oh, have for an, sure. For sure. You, ha- you have an autobiography out. Yes. And it is, the title I love, the, Timmy's in the Well,
4: The John Provost Story. and Basically it uh, starts from day one until um, a few months ago because the um, hardback version came out a couple years ago when it was my 50th anniversary from Lassie. And so when they wanted to, to bring out um, a softback, we decided since it had been a two-year lap um, to add a, a small chapter to bring you know everybody up to date to what's going on now um, because a lot of things did happen in our lives in the past couple of years. But um, it's, uh, you know, it's it's been doing great, and, and we've been having fun. And I, I know you mentioned it before, and people can actually um, – like you said, Amazon or go to my website and there if they want an autograph copy, they can just get an autograph copy. but they can also um, get it from the brick and mortar stores by having they'll, they will order it for them. so
3: Oh super. Yeah. So you know if you're cruising through a, a Barnes and Noble or a books a million, they'll order one for you if it's not on the shelves. Yes? Yes, That's what you're saying. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, child actor in general. There's a picture of you on your website. You're at the 1960 Emmy Awards, and you are a presenter with Danny Thomas. 1960. You're 10 years old. Mm-hmm. I mean, that doesn't happen to very many kids.
4: <laughs> well, and, and and I don't remember it.
3: <laughs> are you serious? that something that's not in the forefront well, of your brain? Yeah, yeah,
4: you know, it's what's what's really amazing. It's like. When we were filming the series, because, um, like you said, I'm 10 years old, I'm working. Um, this was something I did on a weekend. So it's, I'm working five days a week, and then on the weekend, I might have a parade to go to, I might have uh, some a mall opening to go to, I might, who knows? But there was always something. I mean, there, there was really no, you know, not a lot of downtime. Um and even on those, you know, like I said, the three months that we were on hiatus, um, there just wasn't a lot of downtime. There was, you were always doing something, and wow. it's, you know, stuff really uh, it
3: uh, it piles up on you.
4: It does. It's, it's, you know, and and I really understand it because this happens to me a lot. Somebody will come up to me and say, you know, I met you. Hi, you know, don't you remember? I met you, <laughs> you know, 35 years ago, huh? Well, okay, yes, I also met five hundred people, seven hundred people, a thousand people that same sure. day. And, you know, the next day I did the same thing. And it's like but for them, you know, they remember the that that instant. Sure. And as I do for people that I've met, you know, um, you know, that, that were important mm-hmm. to me. It's
3: um, a natural reaction, but I understand. Exactly, what you're saying, exactly. But but. It, but
4: it's like, you know, it's just like it's it, it's hard. It's you know well, it's it, a it, fine it's
3: line that, that it's a fine line that you have to walk, not recognizing Exactly. people, obviously. Exactly. And then and- the other side is I am um, in contact
4: and have become good friends with fans that I have um, been um, communicating with for 40, 45 years. Um, so, you know, it, it's just... it's, it, it
3: How does- did you get your fan mail when you were with Lassie?
4: Oh, um, it would go, some would go to the studio and some would come to our home, and everything was answered um, by um, my mother or, um, you know, my brother, whatever. And um, my mom would even put our home address on the return label. Wow. I mean, that's how she would um, tell people. She would give them our home telephone number and say, if you're ever in town, give us a call. Um, you know that's just the way it was I mean not like today I mean today you know you would be you'd be signing a death warrant
3: sure Sure. and I I was thinking of it in terms of today my gosh you do everything to protect your identity and the whole world is doing everything not to protect it exactly Um, Exactly. and I mean something like that would just never happen in today's environment
4: ever no no, no. and you know it's like like I was saying earlier you know what the difference is with the business and with the paparazzi and the, the, mm-hmm. the just, it's, it's, it's outrageous. I mean, I, you know, that's why I do not live in Los Angeles and, and wouldn't want to, um, you know, yeah. to work, it's no problem, you know, I go down, um, but I'm just, you know, don't know okay. who, who needs it, I mean, it seems to me the people that need it are the ones that, well, they want it, you know, they, they ask for it, so, I don't know, it's a whole, whole new, whole new ball game, but it's it. You know, yeah. it was good for me. I enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> you know, there were things that would have, you know, maybe been done differently and whatever. But um, we're moving on and
3: uh, you know. I want like to talk to you about that in just a second. There was one question that I wanted to ask. That, that's a, it's a curiosity for me. I'm not even sure anybody else cares as I do. So I'm going to ask it. When you were at the Emmy Awards in 1960, you were 10 years old. Mm-hmm. There is no way you look 10 years old. You started with Lassie when you were seven. Seven. You didn't even look like you were seven. I mean, you were perpetually oh. young.
4: Oh no, I, I always well, that, and that was one reason that I kept, you know, I got all these these great jobs. No, because I always looked, you know, two or three years younger than I was, and, but I had the maturity of the older kid, and I mean, that's what they look for. You know, I mean, it makes sense. So, so
3: it it actually helped you. Oh yeah.
4: Oh yeah. Oh, for sure,
3: for I sure. Love it. Tell me about the pressure child actors were under when you were in that place and compare them to today.
4: Well, I think, you know, for one thing, today you don't have the privacy that we had. Um, back then, also, um, the studios had a responsibility um, to protect you. Now, you know, it's just a free for all. Um, Uh, And then, of course, the the money situation is just, you know, totally bizarre. I mean, if I had a a series today, in one month I would make what I made in seven years. Um, So, you know, that's a big issue, I mean, with, you know, what's going on. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, now, you know, your parents aren't your parents. They're your, you know, best friends friend and party with you when you're underage and my parents my father supported the family um, you know and and um, I was I was treated the same as my brother and sister I got 50 cents allowance um, I had to clean my room I had to take out my trash I had to do stuff around the
5: house you know uh,
4: where you know it's just I don't know it's just it's it's a different situation, and when people, people call up to me and ask me all the time, you know, what do you think about what's going on, with, you know, the kids in the news and stuff today, and I go, well, where are the parents? Look at the parents. Hello? It's not that hard. You know, you don't have to really think about it, and that's what it's, I think, you know, that's that's the, the, the big deal, and I think people also, what we're doing now with a lot of, especially the reality shows and things, we are... Rewarding people for bad behavior, and it doesn't make any sense to me. Not at all. It makes no sense. So that's my that's that's my soapbox.
3: Oh, it's, it's not really a soapbox. It's um, some intelligent <laughs> insights that are refreshing to hear. Uh, you mentioned um, getting together. I'll call them the guys because most of the people you mentioned are fellas. Uh, with uh, Tony Dow and uh-huh. Paul Peterson and all all the gang who grew up in television in that era. Now, Paul Peterson is a very – now, Paul was Jeff on the Donna Reed Show. He right. has, uh, is a very outspoken advocate for children and child actors. What are your thoughts on that? How, how do you pair up with Paul's position on some of these uh,
4: Paul's organization is called a minor consideration and actually when he founded the organization I was with him on the original um, when we presented it to the Screen Actors Guild and um, you know Paul has done some incredible work he's gotten a lot of child labor laws passed in different states as a matter of fact a um, uh, month before last we were in Pennsylvania where they film, um, you know, the Kate and a uh, Kate Plus 8 and John and Kate and, you know, all those little kid things. In the state of Pennsylvania, the child labor laws for television shows is a page and a half long. The laws that govern um, every kind of animal, insect, bug, snake, fish, whatever you want. You know when you watch a movie and at the bottom it says no animal was harmed? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. That list of regulations is over 162 pages. Just for spiders, it's like 12 pages. Well, in Pennsylvania, they got a page and a half to cover kids. This Kate and Eight thing, the um, uh, Learning Channel has made over $200 million off this series.
0: Mm -hmm. Not
4: one penny has been set aside for the children, for those eight children. And so Paul and I were back there um, testifying at a uh, Senate committee to get a new law, to get it changed. And so I am totally behind what Paul does. I mean, it's... And, and it, now, not only is he, is he working for kids, he's working for um, elders. He's, he uh, is working for, you know, elder laws and elder abuse. So now, he's—he's—he's. He's, the guy's incredible. The guy's really, really great. And so if anybody, um, all they need to do is, like I said, his website is a minor consideration, and uh, you know, they just have to Google that and
5: go right
3: to it. That is great. Thank you for sending people there. I did not realize that uh, he had an organization that was preceded, that, that had such a formal organization, I guess. Oh, is what no, I'm, no, what no. He, I mean, he, he, he's
4: testified um, in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. Um, no, he's just, yeah, and, and like I said, he's gotten laws changed in um, quite a few different states, you know, for child labor, yeah. um, especially in the film industry. And the main thing is, is to get. Money, something set aside for them, because the way it is in most states, the kids are working, and um, they, uh, the, the money just goes to the parents, and nothing is set aside for the kids. So, you know, they, they may earn their parents millions of dollars, and the kids turn 21, and they got nothing. I mean, that's it's crazy. In California, we're protected. You know, the children are protected, but and in other everyone. states, too, so –
3: but not everywhere. This that's is right. amazing. I did not realize that. Boy, am I learning a lot from you tonight. Whew. Um, I, I'm serious. I did not know this. I thought that we had standardized rules and regulations and laws that yep. governed how children's money is handled. And you're no, telling me that's at all. not
4: the not case at all. At all. At, at, and like um, in this uh, Pennsylvania um, issue with uh, Kate and Nate,
0: mm-hmm.
4: um, they. Don't have a uh, teacher on set. They don't have. uh, They're not mandatory to have a nurse on set. I mean, when we, when I, I mean, when I was working way back on Lassie, or today, if I was a child working here in California, you have a social worker, you have a nurse, you have your school teacher, you have a guardian, and and everybody's got a clock watch and they're watching it, you know, to make sure that nothing is um, abused. I mean, but in a lot – that's one reason that so many films, uh, movies, and TV series now are not being filmed in California. They're being filmed in these other states because they don't have the, the laws and the regulations to protect, especially, children. So, you know, people need to understand that.
3: That's amazing. They do now. Thank you for – I'm serious. Really, thank you for that. I had no idea. I'm not a stupid person, John, but I had no idea. Um, That raises another question about the reality shows that you touched on a few minutes ago. An awful lot of them have kids in them. Oh, yeah. Uh, Not only Kate and eight, but we've got 19 and counting. All of these kids are involved in the making of these shows. What are your thoughts on that?
4: Well, like I said, you know, they, they... Well, for one thing, I think they're abusive. Um, these children have, it's not like when, if I'm filming a movie or a TV series, mm-hmm. I show up at work at 7 o'clock in the morning or 8 o'clock or whatever, or get, you know, get made up, yada, yada. I do my thing. I'm done at, you know, 6 o'clock, whatever. I go home. These kids, they got a camera in their bathroom, they got a camera in their bedroom. When they wake up the first thing in the morning, somebody's got a camera in their face, and they've got one, you know, in their face when they go to bed. I mean, Something's wrong I think with this. any any normal person would think, um, if it's an adult, and they can give consent and say, okay, fine, yeah, you want to do this, I'll do this, sure. Like, you know, mm-hmm. the, the Jersey
5: Shores or whatever, those
4: but. When you're taking little children and subjecting them to this, I think that's a a form of child abuse, basically.
3: They're going to pay a price for it later on.
4: They, I think, already are. (laughs) So, you know,
3: you had some rough spots in life. Can we talk about them a little bit?
4: I'm sorry. What was I? You
3: had some rough patches and some rough spots in life. Are there things that we can yeah. talk about?
4: We, yeah, you know, we all do. But um, actually, I think it's the heads up.
3: Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I asked John when we first started, if, um, when, when we got to a point where he was just about ready to toss in the towel, if he would give me a heads up, and that's what he did. <laughs> you, you take things literally. You know? this, this is too much fun. I want to go through a all list right. of awards if we can do that. Can we? Sure. See All right. We've got Motion Picture Councils Award for Outstanding Contribution as a Humanitarian. Correct?
4: Thank you, yes.
3: So Alan Ludden Humanitarian Award? Lifetime From his, ad- his lovely
4: wife, Betty White.
3: Betty White, yes. Oh, did she give it to you? Yes. Ah What a treat. Yes, yes. Oh my yes. goodness.
4: And sure. what a what a super lady. I mean, you know, she's just just uh incredible lady. That was Um, gosh, that was, I think, like 1990 or 1989 or something like that. Oh, yeah, because that was when we were doing the new Lassie series, right?
3: Uh Uh-huh. Okay, Okay. you've got the Lifetime Achievement Award from the Youth in Film Association. What went into that? That's not one I'm familiar with.
4: That had to do with a um, college in um, Southern California.
3: Okay. The end. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're fun. A Lifetime Career Achievement Award from the Pocono Mountains Film Festival. You have a star in the Hollywood Walk of Fame. This is cool. And um, a Genesis Award for Outstanding Television in a Family Series. Did I miss anything in here?
4: Um, I, you I know... know. Yeah, there's a, there's a few thrown in there. But, but you know, the one that I'm really, I'm really, really proud of is the star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And every time that we go down to my, my father and my um, siblings and, you know, nieces and nephews and all that are all down in, in the Hollywood, uh, Los Angeles area. And so every time we go down, we have to go on Hollywood Boulevard and we get out the putty knife and scrape the gum off of my star. It's just oh, it's really no. a pain. No, that's not. I'm just joking. But.
3: Well, you know, I mean, it happens sometimes. It, it really oh, does. Yeah.
4: No, it does. But, no, one that I'm really proud of was the one that you mentioned, the Genesis Award. Uh-huh. And that I got when I was doing the new Lassie series. Um, I had suggested, um, well, actually, the producer, Alberton. he opened it up to us. He said, you know, if you guys have any ideas for some stories, you know, for some episodes, let me know. And so... I came up with this one episode, and it was about using rabbits as testing for um, cosmetics,
0: mm.
4: and yeah, which is not a, you know, its horrible. And um, they picked the uh, the episode, and, and we wrote the episode, and so the Genesis uh, people for for that year um, gave it the uh, award for uh, for the new Lassie series for the best uh, family show um, for that year. For, oh, I love it. Yeah. For
0: oh, that is animal neat. animal
3: rights, but that was good. That is good. I, I want to do one thing before we get to, the, to um, your canine companions for independence, and the, uh-huh. um, I, I want to ask about the voiceover work that you're doing now. This is new.
4: Yeah. Um, I'm <laughs> the voice of um, Prancer the Reindeer. Uh-huh. And Elf Benny in a uh, episode of Elf Sparkle, which is going to be it's a Christmas series. Um, It's targeted for really young children. This is for you know like three to six, seven year olds, and uh, on Nicktoons. And then am also working on uh, well some other episodes for that, but. Um, The same producer is doing um, uh, another series called "Toodles the Pink Poodle. (laughs) Hey, well, you know, dogs, what Uh can I say? Hey, you know, I've got dog in me. And um, uh, they want me to direct the pilot episode of that, so we're working on that. And then um, I have just um, partnered up with a new company that uh, it's called The Vintage Dog, and they produce dog um, basically grooming products and supplements you know Um, but everything is organic natural um, 100 percent made in the united states all of the uh, packaging materials are um, biodegradable or recyclable or compostable it's a total green company and um, you know no chemicals in any of the products and we're going to be launching that out uh, the first of the year, so uh,
3: oh, this is it's going to be busy crazy. next year. Yeah. I did not realize that this had not been launched yet. I thought we were just post-launch here. It's, so well, it. It, the- it ha-
4: okay. Basically, the the website um, was launched last month. Uh-huh. But as far as we're getting out to the public, we are going to. I'm going to be traveling all over the country. Going to Pet expos and dog shows, and, uh-huh. um, things like that, you know, with the products. And but that, you know, will start in January. Yeah. Can
2: people order the food through the website now, John, or uh, do they wait till they get to the stores? How can people um, get the products? so no,
4: it, 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 people can go to the website. It's um, thevintagedog.com, um, and or if they just go to my website, at the bottom of my website, there's a link for it. Um, they can go there. They can order, and it's um, right now the basic products, like I said, are grooming products, you know, shampoos and and eye washes and um, dewormers, things like that. But um, they uh, do have some other products that uh, are from other companies, but are. Uh, fit the same guidelines, you know, they're all green, they're all natural, all organic, no, 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 no chemical preserves, it's nothing like that, so, I mean, it's about time, and it's the only company that, in my entire, um, history with, you know, being with, uh, associated with dogs that I've ever thought was, uh, was something to put my name behind.
3: Well, they're lucky to have you, because we know what a dog person you are, and I, I just want to make sure that people get this correct, it is the... Vintage dog. Correct. Got to have the word the in in the front there or you won't get to the page. Right. All right. That is cool. Talk for a minute about Canine Companions for Independence. You are really active with that group.
4: Oh, yeah. Um, CCI, Canine Companions, or if anybody wants to check into them, it's cci.org, is a national organization. We just celebrated our 35th anniversary. And we supply service dogs to people that have disabilities other than blindness. Uh, Guide Dogs takes care of that. They've got that covered. Um, We have um, training facilities in Northern California, Southern California, Um, just opened one up in New York, one in um, Florida, and one in Ohio, and Like I said, you know, supply highly qualified um, dogs to exceptional people, and it's all free of charge. Um, The uh, if if somebody you know, like I said, wants to uh, look into them, just go to cci.org. And I've been on the uh, board of governors for the um, Northwest District, which covers. Um, about a half a dozen states here in Northern California, uh, for about 25 years now. Wow! And, yeah, it's just a super, super, super organization. And to, to date, we have placed over um, 3,500 dogs, That's and not incredible. only just in the United States, but also to two other countries.
3: My gosh! Is there a single story, a success story? that stands out in your mind with one of the service dogs?
4: Boy, well, one thing that we're doing right now, which is is we're starting to um, work with the vets. We're working with guys coming back from, and women coming back from um, Afghanistan and um, Iraq. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we had this this one guy, you know, he had lost um, his leg to an IED and, in his Humvee, and you know, came back and he got his prosthetic, and but he just, you know, wasn't going out. And somebody told him about, uh, you know, CCI, and he. Um, applied for a dog, and he got his dog, and it just turned his life around because they're real icebreakers, you know. They, I mean, the, the therapeutic value is almost enough in itself, but our dogs do much, much more than that. And uh, it's, when, when you see it turn somebody's life around and, or you read some of the letters when a recipient writes in, you know, months later or a year later or three weeks later, Mm-hmm. And and you know read what they say how it's just totally changed their lives. Um, there's not just one story. There's just way too many.
3: I kind of figured you would say that, but occasionally there's something extra special or recent that jumps into somebody's head, and I really wanted. To, but you did give me the, uh, the perfect story. I mean, yeah, somebody yeah. because
4: it. yeah the, because it this, is, this is real, this is really yeah this is really new for us. This is uh, this has only been going on you know for. Um, about the, I, I think about a half a year or so. Yeah, um, yeah.
3: Well, this this person's life wasn't enhanced; it was turned around.
4: Exactly. Well, that. But, but yeah, no, that's it. <laughs> it, it. It doesn't just it. It's an enhancement, but but what it really is, it's a it's a, just a makeover, you know, mm-hmm. for, for people. Mhm. You're a dad. And, you know. So and you know, and that, and then I've I'm involved with uh, other. Um, Humane society things, you know, raising money for local, um, you know, no kill humane uh, shelters around Uh the country. And um, uh, just like I said, I guess I got a lot of dog in me.
3: (laughs) (laughs) It shows, but it showed when you were a little kid on Lassie. You're a dad, you've got two kids.
4: My son will be 26. Seven in January. My daughter will be 25, and uh, to me, it's pretty amazing, and yeah, you know, they're, they're uh, the best things in my life, and Lori and I will be celebrating our uh, 12th anniversary uh, this coming, uh, coming March.
3: Wow, fabulous. Congratulations a little ahead of time.
4: All right, thank you.
3: I have one final question. It's mm-hmm. a curiosity question. When you're at an event, a book signing, whatever,
1: mm-hmm.
3: what's the most common question you hear?
4: Mm. <laughs> okay there's well the weirdest question that i get
3: much better question Go ahead.
4: That i don't weird. quite understand is people go well where's lassie now
0: <laughs> oh, God. i mean it's I'm like sorry. hello
4: that would be the oldest dog in the world um gosh i don't know i i just for some reason, my mind went to the weirdest one. but
3: I'll, I'll go with weirdest. That was Okay, weird. great.
4: No, that's the one that I just, I, I and I look at them, and I go, uh. <laughs> I Where said, well, were... I was working with the fifth generation, and yeah. they normally live about 15, 16 years, and now they have the 11th generation, so you figure it out. <laughs> well, they didn't. You know, they
3: look at you, and they think of Timmy, and...
4: I know, I know. It just takes. They they go back to another place. That's fine, and that's fine. Nobody ever came up and said they hated Lassie, so that's all good.
3: John, I have gone through all of my questions.
4: All right. Well, thank you.
3: You are just wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing so much of yourself and your background and your story, and you just made a lot of people happy tonight.
4: All right. Well, I hope so. Thanks.
2: Thanks, John. John.
4: Okay. And everybody have a great holiday. You too.
3: Thank
2: you.
4: All right. Thank you. You
2: bet. Bye bye. And there we go. And the very nice John gave us some extra time, which which was very kind to do that. Indeed. That
3: was really a great conversation. What some super stories he had to tell.
2: Wow. Absolutely. Well, I think we should take a break, Patricia.
3: I think that would be cool for a few minutes. For a few
2: minutes, we'll step up, and then we'll turn over (laughs) to the traditional Saturday show. We'll see what Patricia has in mind, and let's go ahead and put up our little theme, and we'll be back in a few minutes.
5: Radio stations have birthdays like everybody else. And today we are celebrating ours, the 40th anniversary of broadcasting, entertainment, news, sports, and information to the people of the Pacific Coast from San Francisco. It was in 1922 that KNBC, then known as KPL, began program service. Many famous entertainers and many historic events were beamed out over the airways during our 40 years of broadcasting. In 1951, when the NBC Radio Network was celebrating its 25th anniversary, the then-popular comedy team of Fibber, McGee, and Molly did a special broadcast that eavesdropped on some of the great shows of radio. Since then, Molly Jordan has passed on, and Fibber is living in retirement in Encino, California. Twelve years have slipped by since Fibber, McGee, and Molly's 25th anniversary salute to NBC, and that broadcast is in itself a collector's item. Tonight is one of the highlights of k